Hello and welcome to the Language Revolution podcast. My name is Kate Hamilton. I'm a languages teacher and founder of Babel Babies. The aim of this podcast is to get people talking about talking. So without further ado, let's get started. In the last episode of the podcast, I talked to Ben Crystal, an actor, producer and educator, um, very interested in Shakespeare's original pronunciation and how he might have sounded 400 years ago. And um, We were looking at how using original pronunciation could perhaps open up the plays to people from all across the world who can identify their own accent in the original pronunciation performances. And um, today we have invited David Crystal, Ben's father in, to discuss with us how you created or how you recreated that accent. How did you work out what Shakespeare's players might have sounded like? Hello, Dad. Hi. Good afternoon to you. Yes, well, for me, this is just ordinary, routine, historical linguistics, Mm -hmm. you see. Um, Part of the job of your linguist is... The difference is people are interested. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, if you're doing historical linguistics, you're looking at the history of language from the very beginning to the present day. So it was always a particular um, string to a linguist's bow to look at anybody interested in English to go back to Anglo-Saxon, Old English, follow it through to Chaucer's time, Middle English, then to Shakespeare's time, Early Modern English, and so on to the present day, following all aspects, the history of vocabulary, history of grammar, and now especially the history of pronunciation. And so I knew intellectually uh, what the Early Modern English sound system was, insofar as it can be worked out, we can talk about that in a minute, but I never thought for one moment that such knowledge would be useful to anybody. Mm. Dad's got the best party trick. Like, do, do you Beowulf? Oh, well, I mean, going back to Old English, yeah. you, you mean Beowulf, the opening lines are... And so on, a nice sort of beefy, Beowulfian style. Do you choose it? When that April with his shore sort of the rotter marcheth persit to the rotter. And bathed every vine in switch liqueur of which virtue engendered is the floor. Lovely kind of gentle, mellifluous stuff. And then, 200 years later, mm. into the Shakespearean OP. Oh, for a muse of fire that would ascend the brightest heaven of invention. A kingdom for a stage, princes to act and monarchs to be old as well in sin. Then should the war, like Harry, like himself, assume the port of Mars, and at his ales laced in the gowns, should famine, sword and fire crouch for employment. Yes. Now, if you're in historical language study, you can follow the sound changes through from the Old English to the Middle English, through Early Modern to Modern. And so you can locate the sound system at a certain point in the history of the language. And that's the first step. Right. And then you look for evidence to build up your sense of how things would have been so i've heard that you've said it's about 90 percent accurate 80 90 percent yeah one can never be a hundred percent for obvious reasons um in the uh, early middle english period the the modern english period there were people talk about the sounds quite a lot there were a lot of books written at the time about pronunciation and that's one of the sources of evidence of course you look to see what these guys said about how we pronounce words but they don't talk about everything And so unless they give you some evidence, um, some information, then you're really guessing a little bit about how a certain word might be pronounced. And my estimate was that about, as Ben says, about 10% of the Mm. time, I'm not entirely sure. I'll make a good guess so that all the words are covered. 
But if you said to me, are you absolutely certain that that word is pronounced in that way? I can say, I'm absolutely certain 90% of the time, but 10% of the time, I'm not so sure. And it's that 10% of the time that Ben was saying he fills with other kinds of information. So I, I was just going to say, like, listening to you do, I mean, speaking as a layman, as in not an academic, um, as a mere actor, listening to the sound of English sort of come towards you, drifting out of the fog from, from Beowulf to Chaucer to Shakespeare. By the time you're in the world of Shakespeare, it's, 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 like, it's a warm bath. It's really mm. easy to and so And so close to the present day. It mm. is early modern English. It is not late middle English. That's a crucial distinction. Yes. And people in Shakespeare's time found it as difficult to read Chaucer because of all the changes in those 200 years almost as we do, you know. Mm. So uh, when people say Chaucer's difficult, Old English is difficult, I agree. I say, yes, it, it is. You're going to have to work at it. When they say Shakespeare is difficult, I say, no, you don't have to work mm. at it. Think of it through the prism of your own accent mm. first and foremost. Because as you said at the beginning, Kate, it, 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 OP, original pronunciation for Shakespeare, is the ancestor accent of well, almost all modern accents. Mm. So regardless of where in the world you come from, you're going to hear something in that accent that you say, you know, we speak like that where I come well, from. It sounds like a Somerset accent to me, or well, the, to pi you, the yes. Pirates of the Caribbean. But that's because you're, you're, you're homing in on mm. one feature of the accent only, right. which is the R pronounced after the vowel. Mm -hmm. And that's what all the kids do, isn't it, Ben? When you go and do things, they all say Pirates, pirates of the Caribbean. Because the yeah. their re resonance, I suppose, is that pirates have the ha 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 sound and they're so they're tuning into the rhotic sound but that's what everyone does wherever they are yeah wherever we are in the world they go oh no that just reminds me of northern ireland that reminds me of southern delhi that reminds me of east coast it's because like dad says you spend all your time growing up listening to that sound and that's the the sound that resonates with you first yeah, yeah. Well, that but then you see if you're from a different part of the world which doesn't have an r after the vowel you'll hear something else so when people hear that opening of Henry V and say a kingdom for a stage, well, stage isn't Somerset, but it's Yorkshire, mm. amongst other places. And so Yorkshire people will say, hey, you know, we speak like that up here, we say stage, good day, mm. and so on. Um, mm. uh, Canadians, for example, will hear words like house, and they'll say house. We say that. We say that in Canada, you know. Yes. And so everybody will pick on something. But no, but it's not like all mo any modern accent, because no modern accent says invention for invention yes. or conversation for conversation. So there are all sorts of unique features to early modern English um, that modern English accents don't echo. So it's an interesting amalgam of everything, isn't mm. it? I found myself uh, doing this... Uh, taking the audience in talks recently, taking the audience around the world in half a line of Shakespeare mm. <laughs> with Richard II's, um, uh, what is it? I have been studying how I may compare this prison where I live into the world and for because the world is populous and here is not a creature but myself, I cannot do it, full stop, yet I'll hammer it out is mm. the second half of the line. Now you, you go through each word, yet I'll hammer it out uh, in modified received pronunciation, which is my base accent, which would be yit or you'll hammer it out in yeah. OP. So we don't say, we, I say yet, we don't say yit. Mm. Go to Australia for yit. Oil, oil, oil. Well, that's sort of, it's the closest we, we have to oil is Ireland, I suppose. I, so Ireland is. A lot of Irish will do that. Hammer, hammer, hammer. That strong R sound is mainly America. So we've already gone in three words, Australia, Islandish, Americas. 
hammer. It, it is just it, which is another great reason for ownership over the sound because there are some sounds that just haven't changed the same, uh, that haven't changed. And then out, oot, oot, so oot. Ca- Canada, Canadian. Mm-hmm. So you go Australia, Irelandish, <laughs> America, everywhere, Canada in yeah. half a line of change. Good line. It's well, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. T- how how is that come about though? So why has that original pronunciation of Shakespeare ended up? Sounding well, because, like parts all around the world. Because language changes. Mm. Um, the uh, pronunciation changes. Uh, why does it change? Why do people change? Mm. You know, language must never be discussed apart from the people who use it. And people change because we want to be different from what we were before or we've been influenced by a certain part of the world where mm. we weren't before. And change just happens. I've started wearing a white rose. You've started wearing a red one. Whatever, whatever it might be. And, um, and these changes go in different paces, different directions at different times. Uh, the, the kind of pronunciation that was current in, in Shakespeare's day was already a bit of a mix of accents mm. from various parts of the world. Th- this all relates to the basic question of what is an accent and what is it for? And the answer is accents are there to express identity, uh, who we are where we're from, which group we belong to, which group we don't belong to. Mm. And there are always these accents bouncing off each other throughout history. So the modern accents all evolve for a whole host of different reasons. I mean, people go to America, bringing with them the accents on the Mayflower of various parts of, uh, of England. And, and Holland. Uh, and Holland. Yeah. And then um, within 20, 30 years, people are already commenting about this new accent that um, these American people are, are using. Um, people from Britain are noticing this so it doesn't take long for a new accent to develop Mm. and when you go to a single country like England there's a a significant accent shift every 25 miles or so on average why is that? because when the Anglo-Saxons first arrived they came from different parts of the continent already speaking different accents and dialects settling in different parts of the country Mm. and then proliferating new families of accents, as it were, a mm. Scottish-type accent up north, a West Country accent, and so on, uh, until eventually we get the, the mix that we have today. And presumably people didn't move so far in you know, um, Anglo-Saxon times. You wouldn't have travelled... You wouldn't have, wouldn't have grown up in one place and then travelled that far. No, and that's, so that's the big difference that, with is that why then you, and now. Mm. Um, in, in the you know, hundred years ago, you even up until a hundred years ago, you would not have travelled much, and moreover, you wouldn't have heard accents from other parts of the country very much because how often would you hear if you lived in Somerset? You know, somebody from Birmingham or Newcastle, mm. you know, hardly ever, if ever. Uh, these days, with mobility being so strong, and of course. Uh, the media being everywhere and the internet and everything, we hear accents from other places all the time and and they are beginning to influence people in the way they speak. But once upon a time, accents were were pretty, in inverted commas, pure in the sense that the way you speak is pretty well the same as your grandfather and great-grandfather spoke. It's the reason your accent and my accent has changed. Mm. Well, there's such a difference between, you know, your schedule and schedule and that kind of thing. I grew up watching... American TV when I was exactly absolutely so when Ben says schedule I say schedule back because Mm. we're accommodating to each other as the term is we're speaking like each other Mm. because we like each Mm. other 
And if we didn't like each other, I would not do it. I would say, I, look, I'm scheduled, dear boy, you know, not mm. scheduled. Mm-hmm. That creates a distance. That would create a distance. Yeah. It, the, the and he sometimes up. does. <laughs> <laughs> this is the difference between convergence, where the accents come together, and mm. divergence, where the accents separate. Mm. But, you know, um, before we go on with the general accent topic, I suddenly realise I haven't answered all your mm. question about how do we know. Mm. Um, that We got onto this because... The main reason why we know is because people wrote about the accents at the time. Mm -hmm. But I did say, and there were also these other kinds of evidence, and this is the sort of thing that uh, Ben's talked about a lot as well. The first is the rhymes that don't work in modern English, Mm. that must have worked in Shakespeare's time, otherwise he was a rotten poet, really. And the second one are are the puns that, again, don't work in modern English, that must have worked in Shakespeare's time, otherwise nobody would have noticed or laughed. And the third very important piece of evidence are the spellings, because spelling was not standardised in those days. And you can often use the spellings as a clear indication as to how somebody would have pronounced that particular word. Mm. And so put those four kinds of evidence together, the rhymes, the puns, the spellings, and the way people wrote about the language, and that gets us to that 90% figure Mm. we talked about earlier. Very lovely. So, Ben, have you got an example of a a Mm. pun or something that's not funny if you... Don't. One of the first puns that Dad discovered, I think, was in As You Like It, and it's the one we talk about uh, a lot because it's, it's quite tangible, I suppose, that the melancholy Jakes in As You Like It has come back from wandering in the forest and he's smiling and he doesn't usually smile and the Duke says what happened and he tells a story about bumping into a fool, um, Touchstone. And uh, Touchstone tells a joke uh, about uh, it being... 10 o'clock and an hour ago it was nine and in one hour more it'll be 11 and from hour to hour we ripe and ripe and from hour to hour we rot and rot and thereby hangs a tail and jake said he laughed so hard his sides were splitting he laughed so hard he made us sound like uh chanticleer and the nun's priest still the crow no the, yeah, yeah the yeah, cockerel absolutely with the most beautiful in all the land and um i've seen this before many times where the actor just goes from hour to hour we ripe and ripe from hour to hour we rot and rot and there hangs a tail and it's you know it's not funny um and the tumbleweed dad, yeah, no, absolutely <laughs> and dad reveals that the word hour was pronounced or in shakespeare's time and so was the the word for prostitute the word whore or ah. so you know it was an or uh, an or ago it was nine and at the honor or more to be a land and so from or to or we ripe and ripe and or to or we rot and rot and thereby hangs a tail and it's a really rude sex joke. it's mm. it's very bawdy it's yeah. a very bawdy jake's loves it because mm. touchstone doesn't get it presumably you know touchstone's mm. just saying it naturally mm. and Jake's is picking up the There's puns. no textual not. evidence to support <laughs> no, that I know, reading. I know, I'm He's going, a terror. <laughs> I wanted to ask, though, um, yeah. of those four bits of data, I often say, because I've gone off on my own path with this exploration, and mm. I, I start talking about things in my own way, and, um, uh, but we rarely get to, to bang our heads about it. Of those four bits of data, I often say the fourth is the... That actually the least uh, strong foundation that we can rely on the Shakespearean stuff but in terms of the people that wrote about the accent 400 years ago we never know how biased they might have been or whether they're just picking out the sounds that they like and ignoring the sounds they don't like yeah you've got to um, get all the sources together and compare them and see what they say 
and you look for correspondences and you look for differences of opinion. Now, fortunately, I didn't have to do that. <laughs> an academic called Dobson uh, already did this many years ago. So that's the first source you go to. You go to look at Dobson's big two-volume work and see what his collation mm. of all these different perspectives come, comes out with. And, and then you make a judgment. You have to take a view. Mm-hmm. Um, the important thing, I think, is that you do take a view. You say... Uh, well, that word could have been pronounced in pronunciation A or B or C. Um, I think, on the whole, it would have been A. But then the important thing is, as I did in my dictionary, you don't ignore B and C. Huh. You know, you, you put in the possible alternatives, allowing other people to make a choice. Mm. Mm. If, like need, if need be. Absolutely. Yeah. So the yeah. actor's own accents can v- very much can so. Come in. Um, there are a finite number of sounds that, as it were, it's really great if we can all hit, like wind instead of wind, and yeah. nature yeah. instead of nature, and that sort of thing. Those are the. As there it is were, no disagreement about those. You see. I, right. Okay. Yeah. That's good because they're they're also the ones that, as it were the audience hears the sound of their money in the box when they, when they hear that sound you go oh yeah that sounds really good we re- or, or then war a war as well yeah absolutely for rather war. than war oh the unleash the dogs of war Unle- yes unleash the dogs of war absolutely um, so there's there's ones that are really satisfying and, and make people feel as it were to, you know it sounds cheap but it's, it's still true to, they're getting their money's worth mm. then there are these other sounds that um, as that says, have uh, I suppose a degree of option or flexibility in them, and that's really useful when you're working with an international ensemble with with with, uh, with they're bringing their own sounds because um, Anirudh Nair from Delhi has his own versions of uh, a number of the consonants, for example, and his version of the Elizabethan accent is really really interesting. Now, who's to say? that the RP-driven version is the right one, right? Mm. Um, well, I imagine Shakespeare would be interested today in getting as many different voices as he could. So um, I, yeah. I, I've, I've certainly taken a degree of flexibility away that's perhaps um, uh, not necessarily being as strictly true to the academic findings. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I, th- I think so. The uh, Also, that flexibility is present in the text in the sense that some of the alternative pronunciations um, are choosable on the basis of the metre mm. of, of the mm. place in the line at which you find them. Mm. So, Ulfra uh, Musafire that would have said the brightest heaven of Invencion with a five-beat line, really does suggest invention. But there are other places, and indeed even in that line, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't stop somebody who wanted to say the brightest heaven of invention, uh, with just one stress on the last word. Mm. If that's the way the, the director, the actor, and everybody else wants to play it, it was a perfectly possible pronunciation then as now. Mm. And so there are lots of options all the time. And this, this is good. I mean, this is exciting uh, mm. to see how different... Uh, people uh, will opt for a pronunciation or not. You mentioned Jake's earlier on. Um, well, you know, since the 19th century, people are pronouncing that poor guy as, as Jaques and Jaques and all sorts of things. It's important to know that uh, at one point it has it has to be Jaques or something like that because of the meter. At another point, it doesn't have to be at all. And if you don't pronounce it as Jakes, you miss other puns. Mm. 
I mean, when Touchstone, Touchstone uh, meets Jakes in front of Audrey and says, this is Monsieur, uh, <coughs> what you call it, uh, he's, he's saying so because he doesn't want the rude word Jakes, which means a toilet, of course, <laughs> in Shakespeare's time. He doesn't want to say the rude word Jakes in front of his girlfriend, you know. Mm. And there are books at the time to support this. The, the inventor of the flushing toilet, John Harrington, writes a book called The Metamorphosis of Ajax, A-J-A-X, uh, mm. And he calls it that because Ajax was pronounced Ajax. And the opening story of that book is all about somebody getting embarrassed by being introduced to somebody called Jakes and not wanting to use the word because <laughs> it means a toilet. And so there's plenty of evidence to support the Jakes mm. interpretation as well. But that mustn't disallow the possibility that at another point in the play, you might want to give it well, two syllables. It's, I, see, I'm... It's fascinating to me that this kind of exploration, like you say, it offers up so many options, so many new options. And there are so many folk in the world, admittedly those um, more closely associated with Shakespeare performances in received pronunciation, mm -hmm. so they've got understandable fuel for fire to be a bit dismissive, that, that they've said, oh, you know, uh, it, is there any worthwhile, uh, is it worthwhile exploring original pronunciation? Oh, it's just a bit academic, but but what dramaturgy isn't academic? We're looking at now, there's shelves and shelves of different books with loads and loads of different text interpolations, and is it this word, is it that word? The, the more options that we can create, whatever the source of it being, it can only, hopefully, allow the artists involved to, to choose one that seems mm. to be right for them in that moment. You, you were finding options all the time when you did Hamlet in OP, didn't you? I mean, I'm, I'm remembering Woman, Frailty, thy name is Woman. Oh, because Dad said that the um, one potential uh, way of saying woman in Shakespeare's time was a uh, woe man, a man of woe. Oh, right. it, was, it was a joke of the time, a very sexist joke, but mm. a joke nonetheless. I, I couldn't... Um, uh, I couldn't actually find it in Hamlet, but a few years later when we did um, Pericles Recomposed, we, mm. uh, we did it with the Swedish Radio Symphony Orchestra with um, uh, 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 the Trondheim soloist underscoring the piece with um, Max Richter's Four Seasons Recomposed. Um, and when Pericles loses his wife, or at least believes she's dead, um, the line... He has a line to uh, Lycorida, the nurse, to, to, to hurry inside and get his jewels in his casket. And the line is, suddenly, woman, like, hurry up. Mm. I'm, sit, I'm sit standing there on stage, and the music is playing, and, and the, the tragedy of the moment comes. And I find myself, sort of, as it were, opening up my arms into the audience and saying, suddenly, woe man, suddenly I am a man of woe. And you sort of go, yeah, why not? Absolutely. <laughs> Who's to say whether it's right? What is right when we're trying to interpret 400-year-old works, I suppose? Mm. But my goodness, isn't it interesting that, the, that these academic findings, whether they be textual or phonetic or, or whatever, or, 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 or theatrical in their nature, they're only giving fuel for, for, for further exploration and fire to, to keep these things alive in different ways. Yeah. It just allows people to bring their own view of the world to to Shakespeare which is all which he it, wants which is all we want really isn't well it? it's all yeah. he, I think yeah. it's all he wanted I mm. say a lot you know he with the with the the meter uh, with the poetry so often there's uh, there's a there's a, a Canadian scholar called Neil Freeman and he would talk about the heartbeat and the heartbreak mm. when um, the, the 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 line of poetry goes above 10 syllables it's because the character's pulse is raised 
that the line or the thought in the line is almost breaking out of the structure of the poetry. Right. And whenever there are less than 10 syllables, it gives the, the characters opportunity to pause. Indeed, Hamlet says at one point, must give us pause. And there's the respect. It's an eight-beat line. Shakespeare's given him a pause. Mm. And that there are these moments where the heart beats faster and then there's the moments when the heart breaks. And Shakespeare is this most beautiful, ornate frame. And that's the structure of the play or the... The, the poetry, whatever, but the canvas is blank and he wants you to paint the picture with your heart, you know, mm -hmm. with your life experiences today. You, Shakespeare only makes sense. The, Shakespeare makes more sense the more of yourself you bring to it. Yeah, there isn't a right way of doing. No, uh, and that, that's that, the truly beautiful thing. That, that is thing. where this sort of RP production, this is how it is supposed to be done, kind of I suppose. theory and falls you know, down. That, that's mm. what mm. actors who are coming to this for the first time and directors too, mm. Um, they have the same preconceptions. Yes. They say, you know, is there a right way to do OP? Mm. You know, what, what is the correct form of right. OP? When I was working with Tim Carroll at the Globe for Romeo and Juliet in the rehearsal period, um, we had to break through the actor's mindset in this respect because, mm. as you've now heard, OP has, a, has R after the vowel, R, R, R. And we're used to thinking of that kind of sound associated with, you know, pirates and, and lower class people and so on. Not RP. The RP is the main accent that doesn't say car and heart. They say car and heart. Mm. That's the main one. So the uh, actors who were playing the upper class parts were naturally a bit distraught about this. And one of them actually raised his hand and said, Tim, you know, how, I'm the prince. You know, I, I can't speak like that, can I? I'll sound like a servant. Right. And uh, Tim, Tim's response to this was, you don't have to, um, if you're going to act the part of a prince, then he said, act <laughs> the part of a prince. Don't worry about the voice. I mean, the, vo the voice is, the, the, uh, the RP association with an upper class character is the lazy way out, I remember him mm -hmm. saying. You, right. you sympathise with that, don't you, Ben? I, I find this everywhere I go, every time I work with a new group of people learning OP for the first time, getting them through that little wriggle barrier of we've got it right, we've got all the sounds, we're doing all the right sounds, it doesn't sound right, what's wrong? I'm like, you have to make it your own. You've got to like, let loosen up a Absolutely, yeah. play with it. Mm. You've got to start like playing with the sounds and, and uh, playing them like you would notes on a piano, I suppose. You've, you've got to, you've got to, it, it comes back to ownership and permission again, mm. always, always, always. Mm. Feel like it's an instrument that you can, you can run up and down the notes of, like, uh, like mm. you're improvising. Which is one reason, presumably, why the Americans have fallen in love with it so much. Um, because most of the OP productions in the last 10 years have been in the States rather than over here. I think it was the real breakthrough in America and, 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 actually true in New Zealand, in India, everywhere we've taken it so far. If they've grown up with an idea of, yeah, I can speak a bit of Shakespeare, but I can't make it sound like Olivia. Olivier, sorry, Olivia. <laughs> sticking with the talk. <laughs> or Branagh or whoever they grew up listening to. Or David Tennant, either. I mean, yeah. David's Scottish, but yeah. he speaks. You go online and listen to David's To Be or Not To Be, and he's doing it in his beautiful RP, yeah. I believe, but he's not doing it in his Scottish. And uh, so I think there's this idea that you're just not doing it right, which is slowly being let go of. Mm. Thank goodness. And it's a shame because RP as an accent is only 200 years old. Is it? You see, it only developed around about the year 1800 as mm. the accent of the elite in the south of England. Before that, there was no RP. In Shakespeare's day, there was no RP, nothing remotely like it. You could get to the top of the kingdom with a regional accent. Uh, mm. Note, 
uh, Walter Raleigh and Francis Drake, both in Devonshire accents. Note what happens in 1603 when King James comes to the throne and suddenly everybody in court is speaking with a <laughs> Scottish accent. You know, so no RP then. Uh, so only round about 1800 does this accent come in, become quickly the voice of the public schools who train the, uh, the civil servants, the, the upper classes generally, the, mm. the missionaries, the, the cavalry officers, RP becomes the voice of the British Empire, eventually the voice of the BBC, and through the 19th century, it became the voice of the theatre as well. Yes, and then people who do not have that accent feel they're not part of the... Yes, and when, when we were doing the, yes. um, uh, R- Romeo for the first time, this was the first time, remember, at the Globe, it was mm. a real experiment. I used to walk around the yard and ask everybody how they found it, how they found it. And there were a group of inner-city London kids standing in the corner of the stage. Mm. Uh, and I went over to them and said, how are you finding it, lads? And they said, in a real East London, you know, ouch, great, innit, you know? <laughs> so I said, why? And they told me, because it's all original, innit, you know? And then one lad said to me, normally, he says, we go to the theatre, they all speak posh, but this lot are speaking like us. Now, of course, they weren't technically speaking like them. It was mm. a sort of Cockney versus OP. But the accent reached out to them in a way that RP evidently never because, did. like you said, they can hear, they identify with the parts that they... Much that more they easily. Like me with the Somerset accent. Yeah. So You, I, you combine mm, mm. the RP accent with the, uh, the, the regular presentation of Shakespeare in a book mm. on a page and you've got a very unattractive meal. Mm. set out ahead of you that scene you've sort of grown up with the idea that it's difficult to understand and you you can't access it and then you hear it in a sound that you resonate as being the opposite of Mm. who you are or or, you know you're you're looking down from on high because that's where the cheap seats are and you're looking at a very distant thing of of people who are usually shouting at you for Mm. being who you are so it must have made for a very um uh, excluding it just excluding. creates more distance it's interesting actually isn't it i hadn't thought of it before that the cheap seats are now higher but they used to be yes the they've switched but that's a whole different uh, <laughs> podcast topic isn't it let's talk about accents a bit because they're really you know they're so emotive you know so those lads in the in the globe they connected with shakespeare in that way because they felt included their accent was part of it what um how have we ended up with sort of a hierarchy of accents where we've got you know some accents are you know, the proper, the right accent. Oh, that's an 18th century This is the 18th century. I mean, it is a natural mm. human condition uh, to mock uh, people mm. who are not the same as you are. Mm. And you can go right back in recorded history, I suppose, for any language, um, and find people saying, you know, oh, those people from Wales are stupid, or those people from the North are stupid, and mm. so on. And there's plenty of evidence of that going right back to the Middle Ages. Uh, and occasionally... Uh, they'll say they sound ugly or they sound horrible or what have you. Mm. Uh, but letter from St. Paul about the Corinthians, you say, oh, they sound awful. They? <laughs> <laughs> but everybody says that about everybody. You see. Right. There was no single accent that mm. um, would be ranked higher than so all Just to distance others. yourself from your enemies yes, in some way. Yes, yeah. which goes mm. probably way back uh, to the beginning of human speech mm. um, as a survival me- mm-hmm. mechanism. I mm. o- often speculate about how it would have been in... Uh, in your cave 100,000 or more years ago mm. where you uh, hear a noise outside and you shout, who's there, in your early language. And the voice comes back, nay, answer me, stand on and forge yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and if you recognise the accent, uh, then 
it's a member of your tribe, so yes. you go out safely. Mm -hmm. But if the voice that comes back has a different accent from yours, then you better go out cautiously. Mm. So the notion of survival of the fittest becomes survival of the linguistically fittest. That is, mm. those people who are good at accents are more likely to survive because, longer. Oh, because they can put on an accent. And oh, they just recognise and know when it's safe. Right. And the modern evidence of that was when I was giving a talk on accents to a, a school um, down in the Midlands, and a lad came up to me afterwards and says, you know what you were saying about um, accents? Well, it's like that where I live. He says, there are some streets, mm. and if I hear around the corner a certain type of accent, I'm not going around that corner. Right. Mm. So survival of the linguistically fittest, yes. once again. That's that how you survived in Liverpool. Well, absolutely. When <laughs> I moved from Wales to Liverpool, um, I was told in no uncertain terms by the 10-year-olds the I was in the playground with that you don't like your accent, Taffy. You, you know, you change your accent or we lip you. Uh, uh, that is, place their forehead at force against my lower lip. Right. Um, and uh, <laughs> so, so my original Welsh accent, which was like this, you know, really mm. strong accent it mm. was, you know, it suddenly became like this, and I was speaking like the Beatles, uh, within a week. Within and a this, of this weeks. is accommodation, you've this mentioned. Is accommodation, this is accommodation. Yes. I noticed it when I went to university, so I'm from Redditch, which is near Birmingham. And, you know, I don't have a, a particularly strong Redditch or Birmingham accent. But when I went to university, I was northern. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, clearly wasn't northern. I was just slightly across, mm -hmm. slightly west. Mm -hmm. But one of my um, roommates came into my room once and said, Woods, how do you say the word L-A-S-T? And I said, well, last, obviously. And then I was on the phone to my mum at the time. And I went, anyway, mum, last week. <laughs> and carried on talking. Ah, and my yes. roommate came back and said, it's you. You're making me change my accent. Because she'd started yes. to morph into, me, into saying last and mum and pub. And her mother said, hang on a minute. <laughs> You've gone to Oxford. What's happening to your well, accent? This is what happens so, when you become she likes mobile. You. <laughs> she is still my best friend. <laughs> when, you become, when you become mobile, what happens is accommodation, mm. but not 100% accommodation. You mm. pick on certain features mm. uh, and you will, become, you will develop an inconsistent accent yes and it doesn't matter from the point of view of intelligibility because i understand you whether you're saying last or last yes i'm the same i sometimes say example sometimes i say example I say bath and bath yes oh, indeed. I say yeah. schedule and schedule podcast and it doesn't and podcast. it doesn't worry me at all mm. and the reason why it doesn't worry me is not just because i'm a linguist but because this is the main trend that's happening to accents around the English-speaking world at the moment. Right. But, well, but also it doesn't worry, if I may, because you are a wonderful descriptive linguist. This is one of the first things I learned about Dad, that he's not a prescriptive linguist. He never told me off, well, mostly for, for, for saying, maybe warning me that some words were mm. perhaps not for common and general use, but I'd never be disciplined for, for using language in, in a, mm -hmm. a non-standard way. If anything, I'd be studied for it because right. I'm bringing back interesting and new uses. And Dad was always very, um, you know, it's mm -hmm. one of the first distinctions I understood about linguistics. You can either have people that are saying, no, that is wrong, you must stick to whatever we've decided mm -hmm. the standard is, or, my goodness, isn't this fascinating? What does that tell us? Yeah, it's really... You, you want to be adaptable. Yes. Um, I, you know, I'm not saying that one accent is useless and the other is useful. I'm saying that both are useful in their individual circumstances. Mm -hmm. So there are occasions when... Um, 
I'm speaking like this to you now mm. with, with a sort of mixed accent background, but, you know, in a fairly educated way. But there are other occasions when I'll slip back into an original Welsh accent. Mm. And when I go to Liverpool, I slip into a Liverpool accent. I do happen to have mastery of these three. Mm. And I <laughs> use them in the circumstances in which <laughs> I find myself. I'm sorry, that it's just with mastery because all I can remember, because it's not entirely within your control, this mastery. <laughs> oh, the times no. when he jumps into a taxi and... Scotland or something and starts talking to the tech cab driver and the cab driver's like, whereabouts in Glasgow are you from? Where are you from? <laughs> so I taught in Glasgow. Oh yeah, well for, that happens, I'm afraid. That's, yeah. that's I, I did the same, right. I taught in Glasgow for seven or eight years and I found that I got more and more Glaswegian yeah. and then people said, oh, are you from you've had a yeah, mess, you know, because right. like, I knew natural. I wasn't actually from Glasgow but I must mm. be Scottish, you know, yeah. there was a... This is a, absolutely natural. It's like a uh, chameleon. Everybody does it but mm. some more than others, right. uh, but everybody does it to some extent, mm. and uh, uh, well, I, I love I, the fact that Will Shakespeare would have done it. Mm. Yeah, must have, right? Well, he must just have picked up the London accent, having left uh, Warwickshire, mm. which and the London accent was already a, a real mix of accents because of the huge amount of immigration there had been at the time. So, mm. um, yeah, and, and that's another reason why one values this uh, philosophy that Ben was arguing about presenting before about letting people have ownership from their own individual accent. I mean, mm. on the Globe stage in 1600 would have been a variety of actors from different parts of the country. Yes. And we know that um, sometimes uh, accents were picked upon and noticed and commented on. Shakespeare himself does it in um, uh, Orlando mm. uh, and Rosalind in mm. the forest. You know, where's your accent from? Uh, Do you remember yeah, that it's, it's one of the... Um, bits of textual evidence that suggests Orlando might be sceptical about the, yeah. the, the disguise of Ganymede. And, and, and poor, poor old Rosalind has to say, oh, uh, 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 an uncle taught me. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. And, um, uh, there are several references McHugh to accent. McHugh shows like tuners that. of accent, these new tuners of new accent. New tuners of accent. Uh, Ken takes on an accent when he's fighting. So yes, there, yeah. are lo there are lots of references to, sh to accent in the plays and writings of the time. Mm. Um, and it's nice that Shakespeare does it every now and again. There's lots of uses of it. He never, um, that's something you taught me, that he never, um, he wouldn't have mocked someone for their accent. You wouldn't have no. said that, oh, you, you know, yeah. you, like, like we do now, or you've got an accent that makes you sound less educated or more educated or yeah. anything like that. No, there's, there's only one accent that he mocks. He doesn't mock English accents, Irish accents, Scots, Welsh, as we see in Henry V. They all speak in a local way, but they're not taking the mickey out of each other, really. Right. But in the one accent he... Well, who they are, not the way that they say. Yes, yeah. yes. But the, the one that they, he doesn't like is clearly the French accent. <laughs> uh, in Merry Wives of Windsor, he puts some, really, some accent jokes really? into uh, Dr. Caius's mouth. At one point... Um, Caius is saying to you, you two go ahead and I'll make the third. Uh, but the way it's written, spelt, is I will make the third. <laughs> and third would, of course, have got a big laugh from everybody yes. at that particular point. And presumably that was a political jibe. Oh, doubtless. Doubtless. Yes. Um, Certainly. I mean, he's writing all of these histories mm. with the explorations of the English and French wars and it's going to be tickling the monarch. Mm. It's going to be... If it's not anti-French politics, it's definitely pro-English yes. and yeah. for his patron, mm. absolutely. So um, ultimately then, we have a diverse community of accents, don't we? We're, they all sort of bleed into each other. And in London, what, we must have 400 languages? We've got hundreds of languages. Yeah. And the lots strongest of accent, accent in London now is Polish. 
Mm. I, I, I read a few years ago. Is that still true? I don't know. Mm. It was, but, but that's the accent that is mm. most predominant. Most frequent. No? Mm. It depends which part of London you are. In, mm. the, in the East End, in the Brick Lane area, um, the, uh, the, the, what they call intercultural London English is um, a, an interesting mix of Cockney and uh, the, the syllable-timed rhythm that comes from mm. languages like India or the Caribbean, especially mm. the Caribbean because of rap and hip-hop and so on. So a, an East London chap these days will not say something like, um, I think it's time for us all to go down to the garage to meet mm. our friends. He'll say, mm -hmm. I think it's time we all should go down to the garage to meet our friends. Mm. It's rat tat 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 you know, And that's the main feature mm. I hear amongst the younger people in, in that part of London at the mm. moment. You know, nothing to do with the West European... Mm -hmm language influences but from further afield yes and so is that the influx of that sort of music through the media and technology it's making accents kind of skip over geographical distances oh yeah come in well for mm. whatever reason yes. i mean there yeah. must be a dozen reasons why these things mm. have come together in this mm. way uh, but remember people don't adopt an accent unless they find it appealing mm. prestigious mm. Uh, they want to you know i mean want in a unconscious sense very often yes but they look up to the people mm. and what's been so surprising in the in east london is the way in which what what came in as a group of immigrants and often sneered at and and penalized mm. and not given good jobs and all the rest of it suddenly they've become cool really cool yes and uh, the east london teenagers are all wanting to talk like them yeah well and the the as it were the 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 younglings of the British upper classes, as it were, are taking on those accents. Oh, maybe trying to distance themselves from, from, from the heavy from RP. From their parents mm. who are all RP. Yes, the best evidence of that was Prince William. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. When, when he came up here to Anglesey, he was mm. at RAF Valley, whose aeroplanes we're sometimes hearing this afternoon. And uh, I've heard him speak, you know, off the record with, with a group of people. Mm. And he speaks like everybody else, mm. a yes. really demotic accent, drops his H's, mm. uh, puts glottal stops in, things like this. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the next day, he's at a formal dinner uh, mm. somewhere and he's producing perfect RP as he was brought up to do. It's his linguistic wardrobe. This is accommodation. <laughs> yes. yes, it's the wardrobe and it's yes. his accommodation ability once, once again. And yes, and we all need to fit in, don't we, in different situations. So well, we can maybe try and... We all do that yeah. as well. Mm. I mean, you know, as young as you are, you grow up knowing when you can use some words with your friends mm. and when you shouldn't with mm. your parents and that yes. sort of thing. Yeah. And to a degree, we are all doing that in our accents too, yeah. all mm. the time. And, you know, sometimes it's dangerous in the sense mm. that um, I remember when the uh, Scottish referendum was being um, polled a few years ago, there were some English politicians who uh, were in favour of Scottish independence when they were giving speeches put on a Scottish accent. Mm -hmm. Now, whether they did it deliberately or unconsciously, I don't mm. know, but they were immediately pilloried by the press for being hypocritical. Yes, and so, you know, <laughs> even though it might up. be natural, mm. uh, there's always a risk that somebody will say, you're taking the mickey. Mm. It didn't seem genuine. doesn't seem genuine, doesn't. especially if they know who you are and what your background is. My unconscious, you know, non, if I'm not thinking about it, my accent, I know, is this sort of modified received pronunciation. Yeah. And my mate who grew up across the road from me every now and again goes, Ben, are you still doing that Welsh accent? And it's <laughs> the same as you. Like, yeah. when I went to school here and I was 
seven years old in English, I very quickly learned how to speak in a Welsh accent. And a few months ago, I was giving a talk in a school in South Wales. And if I'm, you know, I, I think of myself as Welsh. And if I think about being Welsh, then the Welsh accent comes out a bit more mm. in my voice. And I was down in the south of Wales, so my, my Welsh accent was coming out even more. And I start giving this talk, and I'm starting speaking more and more like this, you know? Is it? And, and, and I thought, oh, bloody hell, I'm not going to make it to the end of the talk. <laughs> <laughs> and I can see over the course of the talk, these kids are saying, what's happening to his voice? And I'm like, I must explain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And notice that, mm. that when you slip into another accent like that, the main feature that identifies the new accent is not actually the vowels and the consonants, it's the intonation, the melody mm. of the way you speak. Yes. And this, to go back to OP, is another big difference. Yeah. You know, When we say that OP is not authentic, mm. uh, it, it is simply a plausible reconstruction. But one of the main reasons why it can never be authentic is we will never be able to reconstruct the intonation mm. with which um, people spoke in those days, because none of those writers uh, of the time tried to describe the melody of the voice. The right. first melody descriptions were a couple of hundred years later. And so whenever you hear OP, what you're hearing is early modern English vowels and consonants as best we can do it to that 90% that we talked about before. And superimposed on top of that is a, a modern English intonation. Now, people will say, well, that's a difference. Well, I don't think it is because I don't actually think English intonation has changed very much in the last 400 years. Mm. Mm. Evidence? Well, I can only go 200 years ago when the, uh, a chap called Joshua Steele wrote down in a book called The Melody and Measure of Speech. He, he wrote a, a musical stave and then he transcribed various um, English sentences on the musical stave. And when you try and read those sentences back today, they sound exactly like really? modern speech. Mm. So if it hasn't changed much in the last 200 years, probably hasn't much in the previous mm -hmm. 200 either compared least, to going that's back the guess. to Chaucer that's the guess mm. yeah mm. so we'll, we, you'll always hear OP at whatever period mm. in to some extent the accent of the present day that's, mm. the, that's that little drip of unauthenticness that will always mm. be there you know, the only melodic things we've found are the the elisions in the folio so that we we we, we, yeah. we have O apostrophe TH apostrophe in yeah. most parlance you know off clock yeah. What time of the clock is it? You know. Um, yeah, ryth rhythm. You can get some evidence, and stress. You can get some evidence, but not melody. And well, and um, so it, it, it's the well the elisions, as far as I'm concerned, indicate it was pacey. Mm. There's a because so many mm. uh, uh, syllables are missing, um, and uh, Hamlet's uh, speak the speech. I pray, as I pronounce it to you, trippingly. Yeah, trippingly. do not mouth it. Mm -hmm. So at least in heaven knows what it would have been like day to day. Although you imagine just as now it would be faster day to day than it is on the stage. But it seems if we're going to take that note from Hamlet to the players as as, well, we as did. true, we did with the Romeo in two thousand and four. That was a unique experiment because the OP Romeo was done just for a weekend in the middle of a run where the rest of the Romeo was in modern English. Mm. So they uh, filmed both. And the OP production was 10 minutes shorter than the production in modern English. Oh. Now, on the stage, 10 minutes is a lifetime. Goodness, yes, yes, absolutely. So it really does show, you know, instead of, it is my lady, oh, it is my love, mm. oh, that she knew she were, the guy did it something like, it is my lady, or it is my love, oh, that she knew she were. Mm. And, that, you know, that clips two or three seconds off immediately. Yes.
Yeah, it's fascinating. Thank you. Ben, would you like to finish off with a little bit of OP Shakespeare for us? We've got, sure. Have you got a favourite bit? What would you like? Um, what about a bit of to be or not to be? <laughs> See, I laugh, no I laugh because um, uh, Dad and I took different uh, directions on that opening vowel sound. To, yeah, I, I used to go much more to bear, but to you, bear. but you say to, to be, be. Um, and uh, so it's it's just a funny. We could have an op off. An op. Yeah. <laughs> we did that once on the stage somewhere, didn't we? Oh, gosh, uh, we did, yeah. who, did who can say the to be or not to be speech fastest? I can't it. remember who won. <laughs> to be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the sings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arms against a say of troubles and by a poison end them, to die, to slay, no more, and by a slave to say we end the heartache and the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to, tis a consummation devoutly to be wished. There we go. Thank you very much. Thank you, David Crystal. Thank you, Ben Crystal. It's been a real pleasure to chat to you. Thank it's you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Kate.